You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. We are in a series entitled Count on Me, and we're going to close out this series today and excited about next Sunday as we start a brand new series entitled Airplane Mode. We're going to talk about how to quit the wrong stuff and stick with the right stuff. And so I'm excited to uh, talk about why you need to be a quitter this fall. And so I hope you come back and be with us for the next several weeks. It's a great series to invite your friends and family members to. It's going to be a great series for them to apply some uh, really uh, practical, applicable, uh, applicable uh, biblical truth. And so um, today, as we finish this series entitled Count on Me, uh, just reminding you that my goal for this series was to encourage you to take your next step of faith, whatever that might be. And uh, I, I want you to engage the process of growth. And so at Foothills, we call it the journey. And the first step of that growth stage is base camp, where you can uh, begin to uncover who you are in Christ and become a partner of our church. And, and then in camp two, begin to discover your gifts and then so on. In camp three, uh, grow in your leadership. And um, when we say a, a, a partner at Foothills Church, that's our way of calling someone a member. And Basically, you know, for, for those of you who have already become a partner, this has been a reminder. This has been us saying, hey, this is what you committed to. This is nothing new. This is nothing different. This is just a reminder that this is what you committed to when you said you were going to be a partner at Fiddles Church. That meant that you were going to attend. You were going to get in a small group. You were going to serve. And you were going to give financially. And so this has been a reminder for you. And, and my encouragement for those of you who aren't partners is to consider taking that step. Now, I know. Some of you may be like, you know what, we're not ready to make that commitment yet. And I get that. And I, I just want you to continue to engage, continue to be here, and take whatever that next step is for you that you've sensed the Spirit telling you to take. But when you are ready to become a partner, this is what it means. It means you're going to be here. It means you're going to be in a group. It means you're going to give and it means that you're going to serve. And so this has been a helpful reminder. I think it's important to do this. I think it's important for us to do it now. Oh, you might ask why, why now? Well, I think it's important now because we've only scratched the surface as to what God wants to do in and through our church. He's blessed our church in so many ways over the years, but it's because we've been willing to take those steps, our people, have been willing to make those sacrifices, to make those commitments. When we started almost eight years ago, you know, seven and a half years ago in a school, that was a step of faith and people gave and people committed and people served and made it possible for us to be able to purchase a building like this. And little bit by little bit, we were able to renovate it and create this space so that more of you could attend and be a part of what God is doing. And so we've taken those necessary steps, but but we are taking a, a, another huge step with the building of this new auditorium. And it's going to open up all kinds of ways for us to do ministry in this city. We're going to impact so many more people. And as we take this step, we want to know who we can count on. And I want to have a high standard of what church membership is in our church because we take church seriously. We're not just here to show up and to look pretty for an hour every you know, Sunday, we're here because we have a mission and God has called us to do something great. And each and every one of us is a part of his story. It's a much bigger story than any one person in the room. And so 
that's why we do this and that's why we do it now. The, the, the timing is perfect. And, and so today the website is actually open. If you're a partner already, I wanna encourage you to go online. It's fcpartner.us. There's gonna be two buttons there. One button to click says, I'm a partner and I wanna repartner. And the other one says, I'm not a partner and I wanna go to base camp. And so if, if you've already gone to base camp, you're already a partner, you just click that, take you less than five minutes to make that commitment, but it's an important one. And if you're not a partner, I want you to consider it today as an option. I hope that our base camp that starts this afternoon, that's not too late for you to join, is a record number in attendance of this class. Camp two starts this afternoon. I hope it's record numbers. I hope we are engaging the process as a church and each and every one of us are taking our next step. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is an instrumental passage of scripture that talks about what the church is all about. The Apostle Paul wrote uh, this letter to the church that he started in a city called Corinth. That's how we get you know, the, the name Corinthians. And that's 1 Corinthians because he wrote two. And so this is the first one. And in this passage, he talks about what the church uh, really should be and how we should interact and, and, and how we should function together. And, and uh, before we actually read, how many of you have ever injured yourself while you were sleeping? Anybody want to admit to that? I mean, it's kind of hard to do, but the other night I'm fast asleep. It's four o'clock in the morning, you know, and um, dead to the world, you know, in la-la land. And all of a sudden I get this cramp in my calf muscle. That ever happened to you? And I woke up in this extreme pain and I'm screaming, you know, like a little girl, ah! Micah's like, oh, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I'm like, I got a cramp. And she says, be quiet. And turns over and goes, she's much more compassionate than that. But no, so I jump out of bed, you know, I'm stretching. It's four o'clock in the morning, I'm stretching. I'm, I'm, I'm walking around, you know. It's a sign that I'm getting old uh, probably, but it's also a sign that I'm, I was dehydrated, right? I mean, your body has a way of informing you through pain that something is, is not quite right. And so I needed to drink some water. I had to get some potassium, whatever. You know, you, you, you know the drill after that. But what was funny is I woke up and in the next two days, like my calf was sore. Like I had a limp. It's like, that's how painful it was. That's how bad it was. And, you know, our bodies have a way of telling us when something's not quite right. A lot of pain might happen, telling us that there's a problem. And, you know, in the life of the church, what happens when things aren't healthy, when things aren't quite right in the body of Christ? We tend to hurt each other. There's some painful parts in the body and it's a sign. It shows us that the body is suffering in some way and we have to bring attention to that. We have to deal with that. What we're gonna learn today is this imagery that's probably not unfamiliar to you, but hopefully it's a great reminder that the body of Christ is just like the human body. There are many parts to the human body, but there is one body. There are many parts in the church body, but there is one body and every person is important and valuable and must play a part and must fulfill their role, their function in the life of the church. And if they are not, then the whole body hurts. The body of Christ suffers when I'm not fulfilling my role and when you aren't fulfilling your role. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us how this works. Let's start in verse 12. Leave your Bibles open as we look at several verses here today. Here we go. Verse 12, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members 
of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, one church. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, the first thing I want you to see today is that the human body is a picture of Christ in his unified church. This is an analogy. It's, it's imagery, and he says, look, the, the human body, many parts, many different functions, doing all kinds of things in unison. In the same way, the church body is and interacts with one another, many parts, different functions, one spirit, one body, one mission. Think about what your body's doing right now. I mean, our bodies are miracles. You know, you, you think about what your body is doing right now. The Bible says that our bodies are, we were created fearfully, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Your heart is beating right now. Your heart is about the size of your fist and it's pumping oxygen and nutrient-rich blood all throughout your body. It beats about 100,000 times a day. Pumps five or six quarts of blood each minute and about 2,000 gallons every day. It's hard at work. And guess what? Nobody in here is saying, I hope my heart beats that next one. Oh, yes. I hope it goes, oh, there it is. You're not thinking about that. At the same time your heart is working, your liver is working. And your liver is doing over 500 different functions in your body. And, and what, what's funny about science and, and, and the human body is we know so little. So, you know, you, you read about it and you're like, we know that the liver is doing at least 500 things, but it could be doing 500 million things. We don't know. But we know it's at least doing 500 things. You know, with the digestive system, creating bile to help us digest various things. At the same time your heart is pumping, your liver is working, you're not telling it to, you're not worried about it. At the same time, your eyes are working right now. Like you're looking at me. And the, and the reality about our eyes, they're, they're so complex. There's 40 different subsystems working in our eyes. It's incredible. The retina alone has 137 million special cells that respond to light and depth and color and all these things that are received by our brain. And the part of the brain that receives our sight is called the visual cortex. And it interprets all of these things, all the colors, you know, all the shapes, all the distances, all these things. Our, our brain is doing that, which allows us to see. It's incredible. The optic nerve, the visual cortex, totally separated, totally distinct subsystems, yet together they capture and deliver and interpret 1.5 million pulse messages every millisecond. And that's just what we think now. It could be way more. 1.5 million every millisecond, your brain is receiving all these things. Your heart is pumping. Your liver is working. We could go on and on and on about how your body is made up of all these complex parts. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is a miracle of life. We didn't just evolve into that. God created that. And he says, look, just like there are so many in, in, uh, so, so many different, various, intricate parts of our body. They work in unison together. He says, so the church ought to work together. The church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And his point here is that we are made up of many different members, totally different people, very diverse, all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different socioeconomic backgrounds, we're, we're passionate about different things. We're good at different things. We're, we're bad at various things. And he says, I want all of that diversity to come together and to work for one mission, which is to make disciples of Christ. 
Now, this is huge for us as a church because we say, well, how do we obtain that? We're too different. There's too, there's too many problems. Like we hurt each other's feelings. There's too, how do we get unity? Well, he tells us right here that we were baptized into one body. We were baptized into one spirit. Now, this baptism wasn't the baptism that we received physically when we went under the water. He's talking about our conversion. When Christ saved us, the Holy Spirit came into our life and we were filled, we were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So it's through that spirit that we're able to have unity. We love and and cherish the same Bible. We love and cherish the same Jesus. We serve and worship the same King. And so even though we're different, and even though there's all kinds of diversity, we rally and we have a commonality in our King, in our Savior. And that is what unites us. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that unites us together. Now in this unification, it doesn't mean that we are all the same. It doesn't mean that we have to look the same. It doesn't mean that we believe all the same things. No, in fact, it should be and must be diverse. We should not, we don't have to believe every single thing and live out every single thing the same way. There are some common beliefs that we share, but there are a lot of things that you probably believe that I don't believe in. And then and, and that's okay because scripturally we, we you know, really rally around who Jesus is and what he's done for our life. And so, there are going to be people who are young, who are old, who are from different countries, who are, uh, you know, different races. And, and, and all of this diversity is necessary for us to be the church that God is calling us to be. And one of the most important things that we learn from this passage is that this imagery teaches us that church membership is implied, like it's important. When he uses the word members, he's talking about members of the body. So body parts, a hand, a foot, an eye, an ear. And so the question then as we read this and this imagery is, okay, who is identifying with this body? Who is claiming to be a hand, a foot, an ear, an eye of this local body of believers? That's the question that we have to answer. And and if you're like me, I'm a part, then that means that you are a partner of this church. And so we want to understand that it is so crucial in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual lives that we are connected to and embracing the idea of of being a part of a local church. If this isn't the church God has called you to, go to the one that he has called you to. Because if you're not connected to the body of Christ as a follower of Christ, you are missing out. You're missing out on the relationships. You're missing out on the spiritual growth. You're missing out on serving people and changing people's lives. And if you're not, You're just a body part that's disconnected from the body. Let me ask you a question. If you were to see a body part not connected to a real physical body, how would it make you feel? It's kind of (laughs) gross. It's very unnatural for us to see a body part that is not connected to a body, right? The reality is some of you are trying to live your spiritual life like this, disconnected and separated from the body of Christ. And it's no wonder that spiritually you're not growing. It's no wonder that, that church is just kind of a routine for you. It's no wonder that you're not hearing from God or it's no wonder that you're not making a difference because you're not a part of the body of Christ. God did not create us. He did not save us to be disconnected body parts. 
He wants us to be connected to his church. We read this all throughout the scripture. It is unnatural. It's not how he intended it to be. His plan is that every follower of Christ would be connected to a local body of believers. Let's continue to read here in verse 14 and following. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of member. So there's many parts. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. In other words, a foot can't say, you know what, Trent, I'm not going to be a part of your body anymore. Peace. Like, you can't do that. Like, it's still there, <laughs> right? You can be a Christian and say, ah, I'm not going to be connected. I don't need a church. But you still must be connected, he says. He says, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an, not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, where would be the sense of hearing? In other words, we can't all be an eye. There's all kinds of needs in the church. We can't all be the pastor. We can't all be, you know, you know a greeter. We can't all be on, on mission as a kid's mentor in our Kids Hope ministry. We can't all do that. But you do the role that God has given to you. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So God arranged the members of this church as he chose. He directed you here. He led you here for a bigger reason than you can actually understand, perhaps even now. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Many parts, yet one body. This is huge for us. Now, in this text, we're seeing here in the first few verses when it says, I'm a foot, I don't belong, we're seeing something that I want to draw out here. Secondly, if you're taking notes, some members of the church are going to feel unimportant. They're going to feel like they don't belong. They're going to feel like they're not gifted enough. I'm not good enough. Man, I don't, I don't have the talents. I didn't, you know, I don't know much about the Bible. I, I can't do this, or I'm not good in front of people, or you know, I, I'm good with my hands and I'm not so good, you know, talking about spirit. We're going to have a lot of reasons to say that we don't belong or there's not a place for us. And yet the scripture says, no, 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 no. No matter what you think, those are lies. Those are false feelings. When Jesus saved you, he gave you a gift. He gave you special talents so that you could fulfill something in the life of the church. So everyone is important. But I get it. A lot of us feel unimportant. I would, I would imagine that the, the church in Corinth had some people that didn't quite feel like they measured up. I was thinking about it this week, and it kind of hit me. Like the elders, the pastors of this church in Corinth really were going through it. I mean, think of it. The apostle stinking Paul started the church, right? This is the, most, this is the, the smartest, greatest teacher, and leader, church planner the world has ever seen. And he used to be the guy that was here leading this deal. And now he's gone. And now all these other guys are stepping into it. You know, it'd be like Billy Graham starting Foothills Church, like the 1980s version of Billy Graham, you know, and he started it eight years ago and thousands of people were coming to know Christ. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know, I'm going to travel the world and continue to preach. And hundreds of thousands of people are going to come to know Christ. And, and, and I'm going to go advise presidents and kings all over the world. So I'm going to leave, guys. But I got this guy named Trent. He's going to come and be the pastor next week. Can you imagine that Sunday for me? Hey, guys. <laughs> Billy's not here anymore. It's me. Yeah subsequently making me feel very insecure. <laughs> I'm, I don't measure up to the last guy, right? 
obviously there's some insecurity that's going to come out. And, and the reality is, all of us feel that way. We, we, we're insecure for various reasons. But that's why we have faith, isn't it? Jesus says, I'm saving you for a reason. I'm giving you my spirit. Now it's our job to have faith and trust that he has. And to be a good steward to figure out what it is. And to actually begin to use it. Some of us are going to feel less important, but that doesn't mean you're not important. He says there's many parts, there's one body, we all have a role to play. Thirdly, we're going to see here in verses 21 and 22 that some members are going to feel overly important. We got some people that think they're a little too important. Like what we do is way better than what some of these other folks do. And so, you know, I don't have to do this or that because I'm a little bit better than everyone else. Let's look at verse 21 and 22. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. In other words, one member of the body of Christ can't say, you know what? I think we're good. We don't need what you have to offer. We don't need it. No thanks. See you later. He says, nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. The head can't say, feet, I don't need you anymore. Why? Because the head needs the feet (laughs) to be able to walk and to be able to do the functions of the body. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which are more presentable parts do not require. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. All these parts are created and working. Why? So that there's no division. But that the members may have the same care for one another's. In other words, instead of saying, I'm better than everybody else. I don't need you. It's like, no, we need to consider others better than ourselves. Philippians chapter 2 is Christ's attitude models to us and realize here that there is no division and that we must care for one another. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So some are feeling a little bit overly important. You know, sometimes in the church, There are people that just feel like their gifts are more important. Their contributions are a little bit better than everybody else's. And so, you know, they tend to think that, you know what, we don't need any more people. I got this covered. I don't need to add anybody to my ministry or in this ministry because I'm doing it. Well, that's a terrible idea to think this is mine and nobody else needs to be here because I got it. No, 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 no. We, we need to have the attitude that God is sending people here with gifts, and the more people, the greater impact. The more people the, the, and the more ministry that we share amongst each other, the greater we are going to be blessed. He goes on to say that the weaker members are even more necessary. So our attitude shifts here. Like what I do as a pastor is important, but I would say that those men and women that are praying for me every day throughout the week and praying for this message right now are even more important than what I'm saying as they go on behalf of me to God with their prayers. There are millions of different ways to serve God that are unseen. Some people might say, I've been here a long time. You know, been here a long time, kind of done this, kind of, I don't have to do that anymore. That's below me. I don't 
take out the trash. I don't serve on the hospitality. I don't do the parking lot. That's just, you know, below me. Well, God's going to teach you a lesson one day. Some people think, well, different color skin, not good. I'm better. Some people think, oh, their socioeconomic status, they don't make enough money or whatever. We're better. That is a terrible attitude. That is an ungodly and sinful attitude. I was in a church, um, my first church as a pastor, one of the deacons was really mad at me. Um, He was always mad at me. Um, But he was mad because people, new people were coming to our church and I was talking basically what I'm talking about today. He was like, we don't need any new people. What we got is good. New people are here and now, you know, taking my seat and doing things and changing things. I'm like, why do we have to be a big church? And I just had to correct him there. I said, man, it's not about being a bigger church. It's about shepherding the people that God brings to our church. And if God sees fit to send people to us, then we need to be prepared and ready to disciple them, lead them to Jesus. You see, this whole experience is about helping other people experience Jesus. And so he may send us 100 people or he may send us 100,000 people. Either way, I want to be ready and I want us to be ready to love and care for them. Not to mention, you need new people to come so that you can do ministry. Think about it. You went through a difficult season of life. You've got all this trauma. God brought you through that. Now you're healthy. Now you understand. Now you're closer to Jesus. Now guess what? How are you going to bless somebody with what you've learned? Well, you need somebody to show up who's going through that. Now all of a sudden, oh, now I can help them. You couldn't help them if they didn't come and join and be a part. So when I see open seats in here, I cringe. Like, I don't want open seats. There are too many people lost and going to hell that are sleeping in today in this city that need to be here. And it's on me, it's on you as a partner, as a follower of Christ to care about that and to do everything that we can to get them here. We can't look down upon new people because they're new or because of this, because of that. Can't look down on them if they're Alabama fans. Well, maybe, I don't know. I'll look for a verse to get back to you. The point is that no divisions. He says, I don't want any divisions to take place here, right? And so divisions happen when we start getting selfish and we start thinking that what we do is better than what somebody else does. What I think is important is more important than what you think is important. That's how divisions take place. It's so stupid. You know, you get those, you know, unattached mouths in the church, you know, think of the unattached mouth in this jar right now. Yeah, yeah, and about this and that, criticizing this, criticizing that, you know. Well, they didn't do this, and they don't do that anymore, and I wish they would do that. Listen, instead of criticizing the family, help the family. Instead of criticizing the family, start helping the family and doing what the Lord is calling us to do. If God gave you the eyes to see a gap, then he must be wanting you to help fill it. Otherwise... That's all I'm saying, right? No division, because I, 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 I see this all the time. God has given you something that you're passionate about and you think everybody in the world should be passionate about this. We gotta feed the children. Yes, we gotta feed the children. But this guy over here is not passionate about that. He's passionate about discipling teenagers. He's not wrong for doing that. He's doing what God has called him to do. And so there's diversity. 
we all have to care about different things. We all have to have different passions, but we unite around the fact that everything that we're doing is making disciples of Christ. Fourthly, what we're seeing here in these verses is that we need each other to fulfill our God-given design, our God-given purpose. You see, the, the hand can't say to the foot, don't need you. Why? Because the hand needs the foot. The brain needs the foot. The head needs the hands. We need each other to fulfill our God-given purpose. Now, some people I know struggle with this because they think, you know, I don't feel as important. I don't feel like, you know, I'm gifted. I don't feel like I have anything to really add value. I, I got too much stuff going on. You know, how can I help? I, I don't make enough money. I, I don't know what I'm good at. And, and this is why we, you know, talk about Camp 2 all the time. Because Camp 2 is a, is a course that helps you discover how God designed you. And so the word design is actually an acronym. I think we've got an image to kind of help, you know, teach this a little bit today. But the, the letter D in the word design means your desires. God has given you something that you're passionate about. He gives me something different. These are good things. This is the diversity coming together to care about all things in our city. This class helps you uncover that. The E stands for experiences. And so, man, we all have different experiences, don't we? We've all gone through different things. And God uses those experiences to help us grow in our faith, but also bless other people and help them through situations. The S stands for spiritual growth. So it's really important that you understand where you're at spiritually. Like, where are you at maturity-wise in your faith? Because if you don't know where you're at, you can't really look at the next step. You won't be able to identify the next step. This class helps you do that. The I stands for individual style. Every one of us has a different personality. We have a different way to lead. We have a different way that we view the world. We help you identify that. G stands for gifts. Every single one of us has a spiritual gift. You know, when you commit your life to Christ, he saves you. The Holy Spirit gives you a gift. But that gift doesn't mean that, boom, lasers are going to shoot out of your eyes now or, you know, you got x-ray vision. No, you've got to develop that gift. You've got to begin to understand what it is. You've got to start exercising it, start using that, and then it flourishes, and then it grows. If you're not growing it, if you're not using it, just like a muscle, if you're not going to work that out, not going to be used, it's not going to grow. Same is true with your spiritual gift. And then finally, the N stands for natural talents. You're good at different things. Some of you are athletic and you kind of think a different way. Some of you are musically inclined. You've got different natural talents. Your brains, all, all of our brains think differently and, and interact differently. And this is the beauty of God's church, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into one spirit with one common goal to make disciples. We are, we're all different, but we're called to one inspiring goal. And this process helps you understand where you're at. Now, it's part of your stewardship to begin to identify what that is. It's part of the stewardship of, of being a follower of Christ to, to take that seriously and to engage in the life of a, a local church and, and use those gifts. Every single one of us will be held accountable by the way in which that we handle all of these gifts that he's given to us and how we use them to help people. In verse 23, he talks about unpresentable parts, you know, weaker parts, unpresentable parts. What is he talking about there? Well, um, there are some ministries that are just hidden. It doesn't mean that they're not important. It just means that we can't see them. They, they're not public ministries. Think about it like this. Are there certain body parts that you cover up? Well, let me just answer. There should be. <laughs> you know, there should be. 
I know it's summertime, we all want to wear flip-flops, but if you got the yellow toenails, you know, curling up over the toes, ain't nobody here wants to see that. Put some shoes on. We don't want to see that, right? Get that fixed. Until then, cover it up. There are some things. That's why God put our butts in the back. He doesn't want us to look at them, right? It's like there are some things we're just, just going to be covered. Some things we're just not going to see. Doesn't mean they're not important. My heart you might argue is one of the most vital organs of my body, muscles of my body. You don't see it, but it's keeping me alive. There are some ministries that aren't public, some ministries you're not going to see. If you think that serving in God's church means that you're gonna be on a stage with a microphone, some of you will never serve. That's just a way to serve God's church. There are millions of ways to serve God's church. I could tell you story after story of people in our church who are serving behind the scenes, things that you'll never see. And yet they are vital ministries of our church that impact our community in major ways. We're training seven uh, Kids Hope mentors right now to go you know, into a local school and mentor young kids. And, and, and so you're never gonna see that, but they are making a huge impact through their gifts into the lives of the next generation. There's a couple of families here. Had they not given financially, we wouldn't be building the auditorium next door. They sacrificed above and beyond, you know, it, incredibly. Now, we're not going to put their picture on the screen and give them an applause. It just doesn't work that way. They're unseen. They're instrumental. Every Sunday morning at 7 a.m., Justin Dietz and his team, they show up. They start putting out over 50 cones, putting up, you know, the signage and, and all of these things. Rain or shine, warm, cold, doesn't matter what the weather is. They're here early doing that. Why? You're never going to see that. But when you show up, they help you park, right? They put a smile on their face. They show you that this place is a place to come and enjoy. Now, now listen, they park over 600 cars every Sunday. We only have 200 spots. <laughs> so I don't know if their gift is like, you know, multiplying fish and loaves or multiplying parking spots out there. Some kind of miraculous stuff is happening out there. But, you know, there's ministries all week long happening that you're not going to see. And so we're not going to say the visible ones are the most important and the invisible ones are not important. No, we all have to realize that every single, every single ministry is valuable and important. We have different roles, but they're all important. Now, in verse 26, he says, when the body hurts, we all hurt. When the body celebrates, we all celebrate. And so this is what the church does as we are connected to one another, when someone dies, we feel that. We experience that pain. You know, when, when someone gets pregnant and they lose that baby, we feel that pain. We suffer together in that. When a husband cowardly leaves his wife, we feel that. We hurt for that woman. And this is what the church does. This is the church loving and feeling you know, whatever you're going through, whatever we are experiencing, we feel that together. And on the flip side, when you, you know, get a promotion at work, we celebrate together. Someone gets married, someone's having a baby, someone takes a step of faith, we celebrate that together. This is what the church is all about. The bottom line is this, we need all our parts doing their part. Right, we need all of our parts here today doing their part. When one part's not doing their part, the church suffers you suffer. Your growth suffers. We need all our parts doing their parts. Now, 
I read and, and saw a book uh, by economists David Sally and Chris Anderson, and uh, the book is called The Numbers Game. And so this is like one of those books, um, like anybody ever see that movie Moneyball? I think that's the name of it, Brad Pitt, and they're baseball and all that stuff. Well, it's kind of the same thing except for it's the soccer version. And so the question that they were asking is, what's more important for a soccer team to have, you know, focus on getting more superstars or to focus on their weakest players and improving their weakest players? And what they are saying in their book is that, you know, there are 11, you know, people, you know, 11 against 11 in soccer. And what they say is that teams, if they want to be successful, should focus on their weakest players Instead of their superstars, getting more superstars doesn't help. What helps is improving the weaker players. Because in soccer, more than any other sport, is, is you can make, you know, eight beautiful passes. But if one guy on the team turns the ball over or makes a bad pass, you know, and the other team gets it, then it can cost you the game. Because in soccer, you know, you mess up, you make a mistake, they score a goal. That one goal is, is all they need if they, you know, just prevent you from scoring, they win the game. So it really hinges on mistakes and all these things. And so what they were saying is, you know, teams should stop investing so much money in these superstars and really just start getting quality players, making the weaker players better. You know, they compared, you know, in, in contrast to basketball. Now, basketball is more of a superstar-driven sport. There's only five guys on the team, and uh, you can have one or two really talented athletes in basketball, and those guys can kind of help everybody get better, and the team can win a lot of games, do a lot of good if they only have one or two, you know, really good players. And so they kind of, you know, matched up the greatest soccer player and the greatest basketball player. So Lionel Messi is probably the greatest soccer player that ever lived, and Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest basketball player that ever lived. Some of you might say LeBron James. I don't know. Anybody? No, not yet. Well, we could talk about that. And the comparison was like in basketball, if you saw MJ play, dude, he was, he was the best. He could take it from one end of the court, dribble through everybody, double teams and anything, go down to the other end of the court and get a shot. He was just that good. Double teaming, triple teaming, doesn't matter. He finds the open guy and scores. He was just that dominating as a player. But in soccer, very rarely, if ever, can one player dribble from one end of the field to the other end of the field and score. Unless you're like, five-year-old AYSO, Bumblebee, you know, it's like a hive. They all follow. One kid breaks out, and then it's like, oh, they scored. Like, that's not real soccer yet. Like, in, in professional soccer, you know, for somebody like Messi, he needs like eight or nine beautiful passes to set him up, then for him to do something awesome to score, and he gets all the credit. He's great, but the eight, nine, ten passes before that of all his other teammates really what set him up this book is true, I would say soccer is a lot more like church than basketball. Like church is a lot more like soccer than basketball in the sense that church is not a superstar driven sport. It's not a superstar driven team. Now, some churches operate like that. And so they have one or two superstars. And so the church is really centered around that. But, but I, would, I would suggest that that's not a healthy or biblical way to function as a church. We're only as good as some of our weakest partners. If we've got some partners out there not fulfilling the God-given role that God has given to them, they suffer spiritually, the whole church suffers. The people who are going to hell in this community suffer. So is it important? Absolutely. That's why we talk about it. That's why it's a big deal. Because lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. And whether you believe it or not today, 
you are invited to that story and you are a big part of God's story here in this church. And so you may not be where you wanna be today, but that shouldn't stop you from engaging the process. And so if you're a partner today, I want you to repartner with us. It doesn't mean you've gotta go home and do everything perfectly and then partner. It means go home and partner, repartner, and then start taking the necessary steps. If you're not a partner, I don't encourage you to go to base camp today. Go to the next one, sign up, let that be your next step. Whatever step God is calling you to take, you gotta take it. And listen, nobody can help you with that but you. It is totally up to you to take that step. But I do know this, we're counting on it. The people in this city are counting on you. And for us to be everything that God wants us to be, for us to continue to experience the blessings that God wants to provide for each of our families, each of our lives, and for this community and for this church, we all gotta be willing to take that step, whatever it may be. Would you take the card that's in your chair today and let's take a moment now just to fill that card out. And there are several steps there. Maybe the step that you need to take isn't on there. Just write it on there just as a, as a step of faith to God. And I wanna ask you to, to put that card in the giving stations when you leave today. I know God is, is doing great things in our midst, but I know that, that he's not finished with us. No matter where we're at, he's, he's calling us to that next step together. So we need you. I need you. No matter what God has done in your life, no matter where you come from, what you look like, what's going on, you're welcome and you have a part to play here at FC. Let's pray. Father God, as we recognize the commitments that we need to make today, I pray, God, that you would be clear in our heart and mind. I pray that you would just bless us. I pray that you would use us. I pray for those folks who aren't partners, God, and whatever it is that's holding them back, I pray you would release that in their heart and mind. I pray that you would take away those worries and those, that, those fears, God. I pray, God, for those who are partnering and doing a great work. Thank you for them. Thank you for their heart and their sacrifice. I pray, God, you'll continue to use them. Father, we just wanna be faithful to you. We wanna be a part of a church that makes a difference. And we're doing that as best we know how today, God. As we take these steps, we give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.